Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's reading is Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Amen. Well, thank you, Megan. And to all of you, welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. My name is Joe and I'm one of the pastors here. Now we're officially in August and we've been in this pandemic since March, which feels like a lifetime ago. And in so many ways, We've been doing a lot of waiting around, haven't we? We're waiting for the vaccine to come. We're waiting for the pandemic to pass. We're waiting to see what our life is going to look like at the end of this long, dark, and confusing tunnel. And it's been a difficult season for many of us, and we see that the psalmist here in the passage that we're going to look at today is also in a season of waiting. But here's what's interesting about this passage, because if you look at the first half of the chapter, you see the psalmist's confidence, right? Whom shall I fear, he asks, of whom shall I be afraid? But then if you look at the second half of the chapter, the mood suddenly changes, right? Now you see the psalmist in desperation mode, right? He cries out, don't hide your face from me, right? Don't turn me away in anger. Now, what's going on? What we're seeing here is a common 
uh, human experience. Right? Because all too often, don't we experience the same thing? We often, we often have these uh, two opposite emotions that are whirling through us where we go from one extreme to another, where on the one hand, we say, you know, we're going to get through this uh, challenge with no problem and we got what it takes and, you know, we'll be better off for it. But at the next moment, we go to the other extreme where we say, oh, no, everything is going to fall apart. And isn't that especially true during this pandemic where so much of all of the information that we get is uncertain and it changes from day to day? And so the psalmist here is giving voice to a common experience among all of us. But not only that, he is also pointing us to a way forward. And here's how he does it. Get to the end of the passage where he says, wait on the Lord, right? To keep his eyes fixed on God and to wait for him is a solution that the psalmist gives to us. But why, right? Isn't, is this just a, a pious and religious expression, right? To wait on the Lord? Or is there something about waiting on God himself that gives us the ability to live through such an anxious time as ours and not be destroyed by it, but be better off for it. Right? Is there a way for us to be in a season of waiting where we wait, not in weakness and in anxiety, but to wait with courage and with strength? And here we're told the psalmist is given three things that allows him to do just that. And those three things are confidence, assurance, and beauty. Confidence, assurance, and beauty. So let's take a look at these three things. So first, confidence. Now we see that the psalm opens up where the psalmist says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now it's obvious to us that they're both rhetorical questions, right? There is no one to be afraid of or uh, for the psalmist. There's no one to be afraid of. Now he's making a claim that really is just astounding to look at because notice he isn't saying I have confidence because I am sitting on a beach, right? Without a care in the world, with a cocktail, with a little umbrella in it. No, he's saying I have nothing to fear. I can be confident even though the wicked advance against me, right? Even though an army besiege me, even though war break out against me, even though enemies surround me, even though my father and mother forsake me, even though false witnesses rise up against me, he's saying, I will be confident because I am waiting on the Lord. Now, let me just say at this point, the kind of confidence waiting on God produces is not blind optimism, where it only works when life is going well. Because, see, many people look at Christianity and see it as an escape from suffering. But if that's what Christianity is, then it's a phony construct, isn't it? Right? If all of this stuff about God's love and forgiveness and the strength and the confidence and the blessings that are all in store for you, if these things can't bear up underneath the evils and terrors of life and sustain you, then all of it's just phony. It's just sentimentalism. And it's certainly not worth patterning your life around. But see, here in this passage, what we see 
is that waiting on the Lord gives you the kind of uh, defiant confidence in which you're able to look into the face of suffering and proclaim, you will not have the last say. And, you know, I think this kind of defiant confidence is best seen in verses 5 to 6. Look with me. It says, For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. He's saying, here's what's going to happen. God is going to hide me in his tent in the day of trouble. Right? So I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be protected. But as soon as he says that, notice where his poetic imagination goes to. And what he says right after is this. As a matter of fact, actually, I'm going to be so safe. I'm going to be so protected that God is actually going to set me high upon a rock so that my head shall be lifted up. He's no longer tucked away. He's no longer in a hiding place. But he is now in full view of his enemies. It's as if uh, the psalmist is saying, these enemies that are all around me, they see me. They want to get their hands on me. They want to destroy me. But the fact is, they can't get to me. But he doesn't stop there, does he? What does he say after that? He's now full on taunting his enemies now. He's saying, I will shout for joy. In full view of my enemies, I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Even though I am surrounded by people that want to destroy me, I'm just going to shout and sing and worship without a care in the world. My friends, this is the kind of confidence that God promised to those who wait on Him. Where in the worst of life's circumstances, you are not just protected, but in full view of everything that is trying to do you in, where you can shout and sing and make melody and defiant confidence. Right? That's the kind of confidence that is promised to us. Now, during this difficult season, are we just eking by, just miserably holding out for our normal to come back, hoping that we're not hurt so much by it? Or are we able to shout for joy? Are we able to sing And make melody in the face of it. Knowing that there is a God who is with you. Knowing that there is a God who protects you and keeps you safe. Is this the confidence that you and I have? Because that's the first thing waiting on God produces. Confidence. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them. Which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. 
If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. But secondly, where does this confidence comes from? come from? What you find is that waiting on the Lord also produces assurance. Assurance. Now again, as we get to the second half of the passage that we'll look at, we see that the mood changes. Right? Because up to this point, the psalmist knows that he can be defiant and confident in the face of danger and hardship. But look where his subjective experience takes him. Right? Look at verse 7. He says, Hear my voice when I call, Lord. And listen to what he says. Be merciful to me and answer me. He recognizes that he's in need of mercy. See, this is where the twist happens because he knows that there is a wealth of confidence that's available for him, right? To be defiant in the face of suffering and hardship. And that, sounds, that all sounds great. But when he looks within himself, he finds that, wait, I am not the kind of person that deserves to be this confident, right? Whether the qualifications for that uh, would be moral or religious or piety or otherwise is irrelevant because subjectively speaking for all of us, no matter how much we amp ourselves up, there's always going to be this inherent experience of inadequacy that's always going to haunt us. So for all of us, we're not sure... If we're going to be heard. So we cry out. Hear my voice when I call. We're not sure if we're going to be accepted. So we cry out. Do not hide your face from me. You see if the psalmist. If he's going to be confident in the face of suffering. It's not going to happen by him. Working himself up to this point of confidence. No, what we find here is that he's utterly dependent. He's dependent on knowing that there is a God who will never leave nor forsake him. Who's always going to receive him, right? Assurance is what he needs. And assurance is what he gets. Because listen to what he says right after that. He says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. I love the way Charles Spurgeon meditated on this little verse because he says, These dear relations will be the last to desert me. But if the milk of human kindness should dry up even from their breasts, there is a father who never forgets. I've been uh, away on vacation the last couple of weeks, but right before I left, actually, I had a really profound and and life-giving conversation with Anthony Bradley, who is our uh, theologian in resonance. And we talked about how so so many of us, uh, without even knowing, live out of these wounds that we received from our parents, and especially from our father's uh, at our early ages, right? It's a, and it doesn't matter if you're 9 years old or 90 years old, that this is something that we carry with us all of our lives, this woundedness, and it affects the way we live. It affects our understanding of who we are. 
And so after that conversation, I have to tell you that I spent a huge chunk of my time during my vacation thinking about how this might be true uh, with me. And you know, what I realized is that I can't even begin to think of who I am, about my aspirations, about my insecurities, about my goals in life. I realize that there isn't a single part of me that has not been affected, that has not been touched by the woundedness that I received from my parents. And you know, don't get me wrong, right? This is no knock against my own parents. I, this is true of all of us, as will be true of my own children as a result of my own parenting. See, for most of us, we live out of a sense, we live out of this sense of bondage that we experience. Right? We live out of a sense of an ideal of who we ought to be instead of living out of the freedom of who we are. You know, and so we say, if we can just get to that ideal, right, then I'll be acceptable. Right? Then I'll be received. Then I will be confident. And therefore, I'll be able to take on anything in life. But here in our passage, we see that David, the psalmist, says no. You see, if I'm accepted because I'm acceptable, if I'm confident because I am successful, then that's a shaky foundation. right? Because if you don't get there, if you don't get to that point of ideal, as most of us don't by our own standards, then you're always going to be insecure. Right? You're always going to be doubtful. But even if you do get there, even if you achieve that ideal of who you think you ought to be, you know that you're only there at that point because of what you've accomplished and not because of who you are. So you're not living out of freedom, you're living out of bondage. But see, if I'm accepted when I'm unacceptable, if I'm received even when my own bloodline forsakes me, See, that's when I know I'll have an unshakable foundation. That's when I know I can laugh at the arrows that are flying towards me because I know that no weapon formed against me shall prosper because nothing that can happen to me will ever define who I am. And that is the kind of assurance that the psalmist experiences. And, you know, to have the confidence that we talked about earlier, right, this assurance of acceptance is going to have to come from the God of the universe himself, right? The psalmist is utterly dependent on this God for assurance. And so what we find is that to wait on God means to be defiantly confident. But this kind of confidence comes because of the unshakable assurance that is available to us in God. But here's the question. See, what we saw was David moved from a place of desperation, not sure of himself, knowing that he needs mercy from this God, to a place of assurance where he was able to say, though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. But for us, right, how can we be certain? 
that when all else is falling apart around us, when we don't feel worthy, that even when we feel unacceptable, that God will accept us, that God will receive us, right? How can we know? And to know that, we need to enter into the beauty of God. So let's take a look at this last point, the beauty. Now for this, we're going to look at the middle part of this passage. Now notice, he's saying, when there is all of this opposition all around me, even then I will be confident, right? That's what we saw in the beginning part of the passage. But as we move into the middle part of this passage, we find the psalmist, instead of worrying and and being anxious and trying to make arrangements for his defense in the face of all of his enemies, what does a psalmist do? What is the, the thing that he seeks after? He says, the one thing that I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. Right? What's he asking for? To gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Right? To soak in, to, to see and experience the beauty of God. That's what he's seeking after, but he's not just content on doing that on days that he'd be at the temple to worship, right? He wants to dwell in the house of the Lord, what? All the days of his life, all the days of his life, right? See, the one thing that he's actively searching for is the beauty of the Lord, not just to look at him from time to time. No, he needs to be captured by his beauty. He wants all of God's beauty all the time. Right, here's what C.S. Lewis says about beauty. And he makes a great comment about beauty in general, but here specifically he's talking about the beauty of God. He says, We do not want merely to see beauty, though God knows even that is bounty enough. We want something else which can hardly be put into words, to be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. See, the psalmist is expressing this desire, right? He wants to see and experience the beauty of God, right? To seek his face, the psalmist says. He's saying, I'm not content hearing about you. I need to hear from you, right? I'm not content knowing about you. I need to know you personally. I'm not content seeing you through a glass darkly. He says, I need to see you face to face. Now, why, when there's a storm brewing in his life, does a psalmist need to see God's face and his beauty most of all? Well, it's the same reason why when I'm stressed, I walk out to Pier 84 on uh, 45th Street, and I go all the way out to the end of the pier where all I can see is water all around me, and I just look out. And it's the same reason why some of you put on your favorite piece of music when you're anxious. Because whatever shape and form it may be, beauty has the power, right, to lift you up out of your immediate context, or it has the power to calm you down and bring you to a place of strength. And you know, the greater the source of anxiety... You're going to need a beauty that is great enough to overcome it. And what the psalmist here is telling us is that there is no beauty that is greater 
there is no beauty that is greater and therefore better able to withstand the onslaught of suffering and anxiety than the beauty of God. Psalm 16, it says, You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. There is more joy and pleasure to be found before the face of God, right in the presence of God. And this is what David wants, right? It's the one thing that he seeks. But here's another thing that I need to say, because notice, where is he going to see the beauty of God? Right? At the temple. He says, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, right? To seek him in his temple. Now, why is this important? Well, in the Old Testament, the temple was where the presence of God resided, right? That's where you found uh, the beauty of God. But here's what's interesting. Of course, there were times when the glory of God, right, the Shekinah glory of God descended on the temple and was clearly seen by all uh, to marvel at. But that didn't happen often, right? The temple primarily, most of the times, was a place of sacrifice, right? There were numerous animals that were brought in, slaughtered, right, drained of its blood and cut up and burnt up. I mean, it really would have been a gory sight, And yet, time and time again, as in this psalm, the temple, right, the house of God, is referred to as a place where God's beauty is found. Now, how can such beauty be found amidst all of the the gore and the violence? Well, because it's pointing us to Jesus, but specifically to his death on the cross. Because this is where you'll find God at his most glorious That is most beautiful. How so? Well, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he once said, You will never know God as Father except by Jesus Christ, in particular by His death upon the cross. Look at the cross, gaze on, meditate on, and survey the wondrous cross, and then you will see something of Him. Now again, what is wondrous about the cross? Because many of you may know, crucifixion, as a, as a method of execution, not unlike the hideous practice of lynching in our country, was primarily carried out as a spectacle for others to witness. Right? Because by crucifying these criminals, a message was being sent out. Right? Do you see this criminal that is hung upon the cross dying a miserable death? It's saying, let this be a sign. Right, that you dare not commit the crimes that he or she committed. It was meant to be a grisly, violent, and a miserable spectacle. So how is that beautiful? Well, because here's the good news of the gospel. Right, God, in all of his wisdom and power, took the spectacle of the cross and flipped it on its head. Right, we find this in Colossians 2. Where it says, when you were dead in your sins and, the, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And hear this. 
and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And friends, this is where we find the wonder of the cross. Because in the cross, we enter into the Holy of Holies, right? The deepest recesses of the heart of God, where in Jesus Christ, He takes on, right, the disfigurement, the ugliness, the inadequacy that is in each and every one of us. And by His death, He beautifies us and He lifts us high upon the rock and declares us righteous. So that there is no power, there is no authority that now dares us call into account for these inadequacies. Now dares to stand against us or to condemn us. Friends, it is in redemption we find the beauty that will silence all of our anxieties. It is in this beauty of God we find our assurance, where we find our confidence. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel that enables us to wait in boldness and courage. Because no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Because all weapon that is formed against us can only drive us to the beauty of the cross that will in turn make us stronger in Him. And so friends, let me encourage you, during this season, will you wait on the Lord. Find your refuge and your hiding place in Him. Seek after Him. Seek after His beauty. And He will lift you high upon the rock. And you will be assured of this, that you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Let us pray together. Our Father, we come before you now and we seek your face. And God, by your grace and by the power of your Spirit, we ask that you open up the eyes of our hearts to see the beauty of the cross. And there may we find the assurance and the confidence that we need to wait in strength and in courage. And so God, we ask for all of us now that you would open up our minds and our hearts and turn us towards you. We thank you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website, To learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family, just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.